0: real estate biz is drastically changing, and modern real estate success can't be learned in some old course manual. This is Everything They Never Told You About Real Estate, where industry leaders expose secrets to success, contemporary lead generation, and how to dominate social media, all moderated by your host, the real estate goat and queen of social media, Carrie Silvey.
1: Welcome. I'm your host, Carrie, and I am joined with a special guest today, Scott Moynihan. He is a realtor with Sotheby's, and his main location is Collingwood, but he also does Berry, uh, some GTA. Am I right, Scott?
0: Yeah, yeah. And a little bit of muskoka, too.
1: Perfect. Um, and f- I follow you on Instagram, and I find you really refreshing because you are no bullshit say it like you tell it like it is and you don't hold back. And I think that everybody needs to hear a little bit of your opinion and your insight on what's going on in real estate in Ontario right now. And honestly, I, I don't talk to a lot of realtors from up north because I'm down here in Niagara and Hamilton. Right. Uh, so it's good to find out what's going on in your market. Um, you're with Sotheby's. Um You guys, your team does a lot of luxury as well. Do they not?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sotheby's in general definitely does a lot of luxury. Yeah. Um, Our team for sure. Yeah. We, uh, I guess you could say specialize more in luxury, but it didn't even really start like that. We didn't, it just sort of happened to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. The the luxury market, I, I would argue more came to me than I necessarily went to it. I can't okay. say I really ever resonated with, uh, you know, people in the sort of 599 area. They didn't like me. I didn't really like them. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I started off at a different brokerage that didn't specialize in luxury or anything like that. They were. It was a great place. I have no complaints about it. But honestly, one of the biggest things in real estate, if you're going to find any success is you got to figure out really quick where you fit in. And, yeah. Uh, for for whatever reason it was definitely the luxury where I fit in and uh a partner that I work with now mm-hmm. who I have been partners with in various different businesses since 2001 was already at Sotheby's singing its praises and you know telling me sort of how great it was and I'll be honest with you I was like there's no way it could be that great Um I I, ended, I was like you know I kind of felt like she was exaggerating but anyway she wanted to start a team there wanted me to come over Mm-hmm. I did. And uh that was in early or sorry, late 2019. And I've I been know. there since. And I'll be there uh until I leave real estate.
1: Yeah, I feel like I always told myself if I changed brokerages from Remax, I would go to a luxury brokerage like Sotheby's. Yeah. And then I found out about an EXP and that just all went out the window. But um, BXP just fits my brand, right? Like I coach, like I'm, I'm not just about production. So I need access to people that are, are, you know, doing the multiple revenue stream thing. But Sotheby's is a great brand. Um, let's get right into it. What would you say is the one thing that nobody ever told you about real estate before you got into our industry?
0: <laughs> Pretty much everything that's important. <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. I mean, the courses don't really prepare you for shit. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm not overly intelligent and I pass them with like high 90s. So if, if I can do that, then obviously the barrier of entry isn't really that high. Um, and I, whatever, you know, you need to know the one plus ones of it, but the, mm-hmm. if I could tell one, anyone, anything is you better have your mindset sorted if you're going to come into real estate. Um, and that, I mean, that, that rings true for any business if you're an entrepreneur, but yeah, fuck all that, everything they say, the door knocking and all the crap they teach you and all that bullshit. You better have your mindset sorted because it's going to take you a while to make money. Yeah, And you're going to have to figure out if you can maintain a good character in hard times. Any dickhead can be great in good times. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything. But you're going to have more hard times in real estate than you do anything else, I think. You know, people are going to screw you over. Deals are going to fall apart. Clients are going to be delinquent. Other real estate agents, I guarantee you will be a pain in your ass. And then you have just, you know, you have life outside of that. Everybody's got big responsibilities outside of that, too. So... I'm telling you, man, get your mindset sorted, and then you can start. But until you do that, you're going to be running around in circles, and you won't be able to you won't be able to deal with the ups and downs and the feast or famine of real estate if if you're not if you don't have your character and your mind sorted out properly.
1: Yeah, I think that that is the most honest piece of advice and the best piece of advice that I have heard yet. You know, yeah. most people are are talking about how to bring in business and, and that's all fine and great but your mind needs to be able to cope with what comes with that and that's so important that's what people don't talk about
0: and i mean in terms of bringing in business i i, I don't know how to bring in business our, our entire thing is is <laughs> referral to be honest with you yeah the whole, our whole team is based on referral um i don't know if farming neighborhoods works i don't know if doing open houses works i'm sure it works for a lot of people, but the question you got to ask yourself is if it doesn't work for me, which it didn't for me, then what are you going to do? Yeah. You got to figure that out. And uh, building a referral business is difficult, right? Because you need clients to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Like I said, I mean, in terms of like building up business and getting leads and all that shit, I I, again, I wouldn't even know where to start on telling someone how to do that. Uh, Basically, because our whole thing is based on referral.
1: Good, and I I guess like working your SOI, right? Working your sphere of influence and just- Absolutely,
0: and networking is huge. And I know that's such a overused term, but I mean like, I don't necessarily mean, you know, going to like real estate events and shit like that. I mean, Hmm. go places where you think your clients are gonna be. You like, you wanna trade in luxury? Eat at nice restaurants in Toronto. Get to know the owners. Keep going back there. Get to know the wait staff. Get to know everybody. Mm-hmm. It works. I'm telling you right now. I was out at Sash, which is a restaurant in Summerhill a few weeks ago. And the guy, Sash, who owns it is a, now a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And we were talking real estate in the restaurant at the time. And someone from a table overheard us. We made a connection. We exchanged cards. He lives in Summerhill. You know, Homes in Summerhill are selling anywhere for $5 to $12 million to 12000000 dollars do things like that. Keep doing them. It works. Uh, I am I'm living proof that it works. It might take you a while, but if that's where you want to be, then that's what you're gonna have to do. And that's real networking, you know? And not, Absolutely. not I think being out there and engrossing and, and yourself in the sort of climate of the clientele that you're after is what you need to do. And you need yeah. to figure out a way to do it.
1: Yeah, and that's how I started my career. And they say that it takes you years to build your career. I say I got lucky, but that's not really what happened. What happened is I was out socializing, meeting people. I was, I was like a socialite in Hamilton, and that's how I generated my business, and that's why my career took off right away. Um, yeah, I talk about
0: you didn't get lucky. The, yeah, you worked hard. I've been following you on Instagram for a couple of years now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I see you work. You have a podcast. You crush.
1: There's yeah. No luck Yeah. And I, I preach social media, but the core of your business needs to be social talking to people, being in front of them and meeting them. And then your social media is just like the icing on the cake, right? It just Mm -hmm. expands that. So yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I didn't do door knocking. I think I went door knocking twice in my entire career, you know that? (laughs) And it's not because I didn't like it. Like I'm, a girl. I go knock on a really nice neighborhood. I pick a really nice neighborhood, upscale. I knock on the doors. People are inviting me in and showing me their tomato gardens and shit. You know, um, I had I had a lot of luck. I, I had a really fun time doing it, and it, I was received well. I didn't get any doors slammed in my face. I didn't do it because I didn't need to do it, and um, that's because. I was working my SOI properly and constantly out meeting new people, right? Uh, I yeah. never did farming. People are asking me on my, that I coach. They're like, how do I farm? And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> 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 like, I have no fucking idea. I'm not
0: saying don't go try that. It might work for you. I'm just, it didn't work for me. And I did a lot of it because I was kind of like, well, I guess this is what you do. Yeah. So and, uh, and, until I, you know, until I figured it out. Yeah. That was what I was doing, and it was a waste of my time. But it's not going to be a waste of everyone's time because I do know people that have built good careers, so even right like specifically in Barry, through mm-hmm. door knocking and farming neighborhoods and doing all that traditional stuff. But it's not going to work for everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many ways of prospecting and building your business, and that's why, as you said earlier, you know, going into this with the right mindset and knowing who the hell you are is mm. so important. Very. Because you need to know that to figure out what you're going to use and what's going to be good to build your business, right? What's going to align with your personality.
0: Yeah. If you don't know who you are, your life in general is going to be a disaster. How can you possibly <laughs> expect your business to do well?
1: Right. <laughs> let's let's talk about what you mentioned about school. And, like, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to get your real estate, you know, education. No. Um Let's talk a little bit about the the quality of realtors coming out of school these days, you know. I just I've met some I've met some characters. You know. <laughs>
0: good, that was a nice way to put it.
1: <laughs> I've met some characters and what I struggle with the most is I make sure that I I I protect my clients and I'm primarily a listing agent. So I try to protect my clients to the best of my ability. But that buyer agent that's coming in, everything is kind of hinging on them doing their job properly. I've had one deal fall apart, like mutual release after it was firm in my entire career. And it was because the agent was fucked, like right. literally didn't qualify her her buyers properly, didn't protect them, didn't even protect herself. And then we were stuck um, basically extending closing for a month at a time until it finally just fell apart because they didn't have financing. And it's so frustrating for me because I can't control that aspect of it. I can't yeah. do somebody else's job for them, you know?
0: For sure. Yeah, I, I, I've been in a lot of situations where uh, I can say, without a shadow of a doubt, if it wasn't for myself and my team's hard work, <clears throat> the deal never would have happened. We were, we were picking up slack and doing all the work on the other side. Um, and I find it often happens when <clears throat> an agent comes in who doesn't really necessarily trade in that area, or in that price point and they're a disaster. And um, it, it drives me crazy because first of all, obviously it puts you know my client and myself in a bad position, but it just makes me think that that agent just does not take what they're doing seriously. When you're dealing with someone's home or if they're buying a home, mm-hmm. this very well could be the biggest purchase they're ever making, it's a massive, financial investment. And that's what it is. It is. I know, they say, don't think of your home as an investment, but the fuck out of here, it is, (laughs) it is an investment. So stop saying that. But uh, you have to really respect people's money. And if they're going to come and choose you to spend it with, that's a big responsibility. It's a really big responsibility. And I mean, I listen, I, I deal with people that are just infinitely wealthy sometimes. But my attitude doesn't change they're still putting their trust in me to make sure their money works out for them and works for them and it it doesn't matter if they have all the money in the world it it, they're still spending a ton to buy a home yeah so if if you're not educating yourself on the area and i'm not saying you cannot trade outside of your trading area you absolutely can Mm -hmm. you just got to take the time to really learn about it specifically if you're going to go dealing with waterfront or something like that and make sure that your client's super protected and make sure that you're sort of in it to get this deal done and work with them. Years after that, I think too many agents just look at this as a one-time shot, you know, okay, I'm going to do this deal. This is how much I'm going to make. If that's what you're thinking, then you're not building a business. You're just scrambling from deal to deal and you're you're, you're causing trouble for people that are taking this seriously all along the
1: way transactional that's what that's where their mindset is is transactional and it's it's a shame it's it happens every single day so why don't you tell me your worst agent experience ever
0: worst (laughs) agent experience ever
1: (laughs) there's so many to choose from
0: Mm. (laughs) let me think I don't know if one necessarily pops into my head. Um, you know, there, there's, let me put it this way. There's certain teams mm-hmm. where if I see their name on a listing, I'll do whatever I can to avoid it. <laughs> Cause,
1: we have those um, in Hamilton too.
0: This is, you know, I suppose a little bit of anecdotal, but every time I've dealt with them from either doing a deal with them or even just trying to book a show and it's been a pain in the ass, and mm-hmm. If it's a pain in the ass for me, it's going to be a pain in the ass for my clients, so I'll avoid them like the plague. Mm-hmm. Um, but I—I'll I, be honest with you, I haven't—I haven't had any like nightmare dealings with agents. You know, I sort of—I don't know where I'm at now. I kind of kind of avoid that. We, you know, Sotheby's does a lot of sort of internal stuff together, yeah. And I have yet to meet a Sotheby's agent that wasn't fantastic to deal with. And I'm not just saying that because I work for them. Um, there's lots of other brokerages that have awesome agents like, um, and Volker, for example, a mm-hmm. couple people at Harvey Kells. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, but yeah, like, like I said, there's teams I don't want to deal with. And sometimes I see people book a show and I'm like, oh shit, not this person. Yeah. You know? Sort of like, you know, hunker down. I'm like, all right,
1: do we have. Yeah, we have we have a couple of those in Hamilton and I got to tell you there's one team in particular um they've probably put in over the last 3 years I would say 15 offers on my listings and have had to mutual release and not able to firm up because of it. So when I see actually when I see them book a showing, I'm like please don't bring an offer, please don't bring an offer. Yeah. Or I'm just like, (laughs) it's, it triggers me. I've got like PTSD from them, but what do you do? Right? Because you want to show the property. It's just, it's
0: it's nothing you can do. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, you again, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. You can't, I wish you could do that, but you can't.
1: (laughs) Do you know what I do? I make them show me proof of funds or a, um, an actual letter from their financial Mm. institution.
0: Yeah, I, we, uh, we definitely on like higher end listings, we qualify as much as we can. Yeah. I I mean, I've had agents push back on me on that and they start blabbing on about their clients' privacy. I'm like, well, what about mine? You're bringing people into their goddamn home. Can they afford it or not? This is not, you know, this isn't a tour. It's not a, this is not a broker open house where you invite a bunch of people that don't actually have clients. Then they take pictures of themselves and put it on social media. Like that shit drives me crazy. That honestly, that's what most of those things are for. I see them all the time. Yeah. You you have houses at multi million dollar listings with people that don't have clients to buy it. And they're, you know, they're filming themselves and taking pictures and posting on their own IGs. (laughs) Not saying it's their listing, but not not saying it's not, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see it all the time.
0: What was the point? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. uh,
0: but hey, whatever <laughs> We what do, do to stop that nonsense. So we're just going to have to duck and weave through it, I guess.
1: I know. I know. I have um, I have some whenever I have I hate doing open houses. OK, like unless my <laughs> client really wants them, I won't do them because I find that it's literally a home filled with a bunch of clients whose agents were too fucking lazy to book a showing Mm. or neighbors. And every open house, I have at least one person that walks in and I require everybody to sign in. Right. And they say, no. And I say to them, that wasn't a fucking request. Like that is this is mandatory. I'm I don't prospect anymore in my business. Like like people, mm-hmm. some agents do. Uh, nobody's gonna call you. You're walking into to somebody's home, and for safety reasons, I need to know your information.
0: Absolutely, even you know? even perhaps for your own safety reasons. I mean, you're a woman at an open house. Maybe you're there mm-hmm. alone with. Uh, you know, whoever. Yeah, that's something to think about. I don't know how many people do think about that, but
1: absolutely. And then they say to I, me, "Oh, well, I could call my agent. I could call an agent and have them show me the property." I would hope that there's no agents out there that are just showing properties without seeing ID from people. I I would hope, but you know what? I wouldn't no, be surprised. No, nor would I. I I'm I'm
0: pretty sure that there's probably lots doing that. Yeah. But in terms of open houses, I don't know. I I don't mind them. I found lately, probably since maybe even January, they've actually been good for me in terms of, uh, one, they've been packed. I've had a ridiculous amount of people through Mm -hmm. my open house. And two, the thing I've been loving about it is the majority of people coming through are not represented. And it's been been really great for uh, picking up buyer leads. Good. Yeah, I mean, that – That side of it's been good. And and I'm not sure why so many people are coming through I'm representing, but they are.
1: How do you feel? How do you feel about because the last open house I did, I told you the majority were represented buyers whose agents weren't there. Um, We had a bidding war and. Three of the offers that we had, the agents that were submitting the offers, had never even been on the property. How do you feel about that? Do you? I personally think that it's a major disservice. Like if my client went through an open house and called me and was like, "I love this property, let's put it in an offer," I'm like booking a showing for myself so I can go through there. But none of them do it. What the fuck is happening? I think that
0: goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago: with people not taking this shit seriously. Yeah. I, if a client of mine was like, "I want to put an offer in," like you just said, I'd be there in the next hour to look at it. Yeah. Uh, no, no doubt in my mind. I think, uh, and you, you're kind of leaving yourself pretty wide open to mm-hmm. some problems if, if things go off track. It, you yeah. know, if it push comes to shove, and You know your client gets screwed over, and they want to take it out on you, and you never even saw the house.
1: That's not even. What about the fact that they're in a bidding war, and there could be issues that they didn't see with the house? Maybe they didn't realize it has electrical heat, or you know what I mean? Like you just never know. And
0: yeah, I mean, if they run into a situation where they can't put an inspection in, or you know. If it's septic or well, and they're not allowed to do a water sample or look at the septic system, then, they, they you know, <laughs> and you didn't go see it, and you didn't, you know, again, it, it it could all just end up looking really bad for you. Not to mention, you're not doing your client the service you're supposed to be doing. them.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now your main area is Collingwood, right? It so- is. So. Yeah. I'm not really familiar with the market up there. Tell me what's happening in terms of like, are you guys back into a seller's market or are you still, and you're luxury too. So tell yeah. me a little bit of, okay, so tell me about the luxury Collingwood market right now.
0: The luxury Collingwood market. So, I mean, it, it basically is based all around skiing, golfing, and anything to do with water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's various pockets throughout Collingwood and the surrounding area, like Thornberry, even as far up as Meaford, um, that, you know, house sort of that luxury market. It, it does seem to, or it does, uh, it is centralized around a lot of the private ski clubs. There's there's uh, Georgian Peaks, Alpine, Craigley, and Osler. they are private ski clubs up there. They've been there for years. Um, then there's a lot of private golf clubs up there, Georgian mm-hmm. Bay Club being one of the main ones. Um, And then you have right in front of all those private ski clubs, you have the whole waterfront, right? So it's almost like the greatest sort of tailor-made luxury market just waiting to happen. And it it had been that way for years, and it really kicked off, to be honest with you, back in, when was it? It was the late 90s when Interwest bought Blue Mountain. And that kind of like, that really put Collingwood on the map. Mm -hmm. That's when we saw like, you know, prices started going up. People were investing in there. We were. It was attracting tourism from all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. Who the hell wants to go ride Blue Mountain instead of Whistler? I don't know, but people seem to do that. <laughs> um, and then sort of over the years, it just, you know, it kept growing and growing and growing. There's always been tons of money from uh, the Toronto area mm-hmm. that has been going up there, you know, hell, since like the 60s and the 70s.
1: Yeah.
0: So As I said, based around like the clubs, the golf, and the water, we have all these sort of different pockets uh, of luxury real estate. And I mean, it was insane during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We were pulling pulling out of Muskoka, moving to Collingwood, because these people were spending far more time with their cottages in Muskoka to realize that there's really not that many amenities up there if you're trying to make that a Mm year-round thing. And honestly, there's not a whole hell of a lot to do. I love Muskoka, don't get me wrong, but- after a week on board, bored He's there. I got to get out of there yeah. where Collingwood, you know, you have all the skiing in the summer. It's even busier. You have golf, you have mountain biking, you have all the, you have the boating. There's tons of restaurants. Um, there's tons of shopping. It's all centralized right into Collingwood too. Oh, you know, right. Muskoka is a little different where it has all these sort of towns scattered through the Muskoka, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah. uh, you have this one sort of central location in Collingwood. you get up there you go to wherever you are you come back there and uh you know it, it also has a great deal of year-round people up there now yeah and a lot of people from da that had spent years going up there retired up there boomers in particular which obviously pushed the price points through the roof yeah i mean it, back when Interwest was up there when they bought i think i was like 19 or 20 you know i was in university but i would go up there to snowboard Never in a million years did I think I would be listing four, five, six, and $7 million homes up there. I never thought, you know. Yeah. Mind you, I was a 19-year-old kid too. But still, yeah. it, it, the way the market exploded up there is really wild. But um, I'm not really sure if that answered your question. but
1: No, but it totally did. Definitely. Like, I, I'm i not really familiar with calling. I think I've been there once, to be honest. I'm such a bat- right. like – <laughs> Whatever. i can't see like i'm not going there but um no i've been once and it's 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 nice it is very nice in terms of luxury real estate there was it a like do you go through the same cycles with luxury as you do as we do in the regular market did you see like how we did in uh, southern ontario and the gta where things kind of went through a standstill last year and prices dropped or is luxury just like a different monster in itself
0: No no it, it's i would say it's susceptible to all the same you know ills that can affect any any price point in the state market like last year it was it was shit yeah. Uh to be perfectly honest with you, it was it was a grind. It was it was not a good year, you know. Um prices yeah, they definitely came down. Um but so what? The prices during the pandemic were so fucking ridiculous.
1: That, I like I don't,
0: you know. I, I not even I'm trying to like erase that entire thing from my memory because <laughs> it was such nonsense. It was a it was a fake economy. Everything about it was fake. The government was pumping money into it real estate prices were ridiculous stock prices were were just ridiculous like none of it made any sense anybody that was under the impression that there wasn't going to be a correction is is dimwit it had to happen like it it was so how the correction personally i don't think has been as bad as it could have been yeah i would probably say that that's because of serious lack of inventory which we we, you know we still suffer from up in Hollywood, in in the luxury market no doubt there's uh there's definitely been some more stuff coming online and buyers have, you know, are definitely have pent up sort of, uh, I want to buy something now. However, they're not acting like they did during the pandemic and nor should they, they're, you know, they're extremely discerning now. Yeah. Uh, Price is the number one thing. If if you're not, if you're priced well, like we had, what would it be now? Yeah. Three of our last listings went into multiple offers. Um, Hmm. But we also have, you know, listings that aren't as gre- aggressively priced that have been sitting there forever and will continue to do so until we get the price right. Yeah. So I, I would I would definitely say, you know, that's the number one catalyst in the luxury market for sure is price. These people that are buying, they're intelligent people. They, they didn't make all that money overpaying for things. I right. guarantee you that. Um, and then, you know, people that aren't in the luxury market, uh, I'm not taking anything away from them. They're just as intelligent. They work hard for their money. And they're nobody wants to be as a buyer back in the situation that they were in during the pandemic where you're paying like, you know, 25% over list, no inspection. God only knows what the hell is going on. And you're bidding against 25 people. Mm-hmm. It, it was ridiculous. I, I, I talked a lot of buyers out of buying during that point in time. They're excited, they wanted to, but I was like, listen, you're gonna be underwater on this thing. Like, it's gonna take you a while to come out of this. Like, if you're thinking of holding on to it for the next 10 years, you know? Who knows if you'll even see that price again in the next five years, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely 100% luxury can fall to the same problems that everyone else can.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Even lending rates. i think it's a common misconception that people of a high net worth don't you know don't take out mortgages a lot of them do just because the truth is let's say you want to buy a seven million dollar home they might think to themselves well i don't want to pay cash for that because i could put it over here and it could make more money over a shorter period of time so i'm just going to take a mortgage and why not that makes sense people with that kind of cash to spend you know they have a lot of avenues to invest that money in and some of them are going to make way more money than estate real yeah. estate's great, it makes money, but it's definitely a long play and yeah. despite what happened during the pandemic it, it doesn't increase by fifty percent a year
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know right um, have you seen things pick up in your area and say in Barrie as well uh because Hamilton is picked right up again and yeah. Niagara is just starting now. Okay.
0: Yeah, I noticed in like, I I would even say late December, all of a sudden, so many buyers were like, I want to see this, I want to see this, I want to see this, Mm -hmm. showings were picking up, open houses were packed. And then that took a little bit of time before that started translating into uh, actual transactions. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd say for the last month, month and a half, transactions have 100% picked up. And it's good. It's great to see. And I'm glad that these, you know, these are intelligent buyers too that we're dealing with now. Um, you know, they're not reckless, so it's, uh, it's making it very interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So tell me, um, didn't you have a $7 million listing that burned down? Tell me, tell me about this. <laughs> tell me this story. This is an interesting story. What that, do you think? It,
0: well, it was yeah, the Applet group, which is a team I'm on. Julia Applet is, uh, the team leader and the person that I've been working with since uh since oh one um there there was there was a development going on um uh, on the waterfront up in the Collingwood area it consisted of five different lots and uh they're building these i mean the one home the first one they built all on the water two hundred and fifty feet of waterfront it was about eleven thousand square feet honestly it was one of the most one of the most gorgeous homes i ever set foot in mm-hmm. the it was an um, absolute engineering marvel had like their their footings were going like 95 feet into the bedrock it was cantilevered out over the water just like unprecedented nothing like that had ever been built up in collingwood um mm. so yeah anyway we 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 got that and we marketed the shit out of it and uh ended up double ending it on a thursday it went firm on a thursday <laughs> and monday morning my uh my partner julia calls me (laughs) she goes you're never going to believe what happened and i was like what she's like the artisan which was the name of the project burned to the ground (laughs) (laughs) and i was like you're fucking." (laughs) she's like no it's gone and then all of a sudden i started getting texts from people they're like dude what happened to that house someone sent me a picture of it like completely engulfed in flames and i was like holy shit, it burnt down
1: what happened?
0: Um, I'm not really sure. I, I I think it was some sort of electrical thing. I, I'm not. I have no idea what started or caused the fire. But mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. So where what do
1: you do go do? from there? Where do you go from there? Because whether it's a fire or you know a natural disaster of some kind, and your firm, w- what happens next? <laughs>
0: So the first thing you need to understand is that you're not going to get paid. <laughs> as the real estate agent, you're the last person. That really a sh- so that, that's, that's, that's what, I don't know, because we double ended it. That's $350,000 of commission that goes out the window. Um, but this goes back to me talking to you earlier mm-hmm. about you better have your set straight. Uh, I'll, I'll back up a minute. Okay. First of all, when, when Julia told me my first reaction was, I don't really give a fuck who cares. And my reasoning was like, no matter how mad or distraught I get over this, that house is not going to reappear because I'm really angry and my feelings are hurt. So it's a waste of energy. Um, this was in, I want to say February 21. I think that's when that thing burnt down. Um, in, December of 2020, I was going to a car dealership and I walked underneath a bay door and these doors are like a thousand pounds and the sensor on it malfunctioned and came down and landed on top of my head. And anyway, I ended up getting rushed to the hospital, had like the worst concussion. I have a traumatic brain injury from it. Um, Somehow I wasn't paralyzed or killed. I have no idea how that happened. And then two weeks after that, I found out my old man was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then I get this phone call that the house burnt down. So why the fuck would I give a shit? Mm-hmm. Honestly, that 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 house put us into like a whole other realm. That upped our game. It, it brought us to a whole new level of listings. We pulled so many amazing clients out of that place. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to my partner, I'm like, well, whatever, that's gone. We should just go sell one of these clients a $7 million home somewhere else. And almost a month to the day, we did exactly that in the So, Mm -hmm. did it suck that it burned down? Yeah, you know, whatever. And it sucks that you didn't get that money, but you didn't have that money to begin with. So, just figure out a way to do it again. And honestly, it's money. Who fucking cares? Of all the things you can lose, it's the easiest to get back and it has the least consequence. And people may have just heard that and think I'm crazy, but.
1: No, I love that. I love that. You could,
0: you could break your neck. One of your kids could fucking pass away. You know, like give yourself some perspective. Don't don't get too caught up in in being butthurt about shit or think you're owed anything. So what? Your listing burnt down. Fucking yeah. move on. Yeah. Honestly, that that's like the whole mindset thing I was talking about. And uh yeah, twenty one was a crazy year, but the funny thing is, like all that shit going on, trying to recover from that concussion and putting you know, watching my old man pass away, it still was the best year I've ever had in real estate, earning wise. Huh. It was the best year I ever had. So Mindset. Honestly, you you're in mindset, yeah. That that's all there is to it. And whatever you've got to do to get there, do it. Hire a coach, listen to whoever. Uh you know, whoever inspires you to not sit around and feel sorry for yourself because it's going to get you nowhere. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that listing was it and it was a shame too, like looking back on it. It was I would have loved to have seen that home like fully finished and the client that we dealt with, he was awesome. Um you know, he he, he everything worked out for him
1: though. Good.
0: We found him another really beautiful property. Actually funnily enough, that wasn't waterfront, but it overlooked the entire bay and he's building an absolutely gorgeous home up there now. So you know it, it like i said it all it all worked out, and that's it all will work out, so yeah, it's one home
1: something that people forget. I think that um there's a real problem in our industry with agents living paycheck to paycheck and counting their commission dollars before they get them and oh yeah, that can contribute to a really awful mindset and a downward spiral I
0: agree. I would also say if you're a real estate agent and that's your only source of income, you're crazy. Figure out how to make money somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know if it's passive, if you want to invest, if you want to put money somewhere, if you want to get a side hustle, but I would even go so far as to say it's irresponsible to just have one source of income.
1: Yes. Because
0: while, while 21 was my best year income-wise, 22 was one of the worst years I've ever had income-wise, and I didn't, skip a beat. So,
1: yeah.
0: You know, if 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 I was solely relying on real estate income, yeah. <laughs> I would have been really relying on that mindset thing that I've been blabbing on about.
1: Yeah, 2022 yeah, yeah. was bad for me as well. Um, but I spent 90% of my time building my coaching program. So, it was like a trade-off because yeah, you, you so know, well. yeah, Perfect. you know as well. It's so hard like we need to give our businesses a hundred percent. So I'm like, fuck, how am I going to give the coaching, like build that and give that a hundred percent to get it off the ground. So the production had to take a step back. Right. But it's all yeah. for the greater good and multiple streams of revenue. That's That's what smart it's all for. There, you,
0: there's no better investment than you can make than in yourself. Mm-hmm. There, there just simply isn't. Not not the stock market, not real estate, not anything. Mm-hmm. If you need to be in control of yourself and build your own personal brand, um, it, especially with what you're doing, I mean, you're active on social media, you have this podcast, you're doing coaching, like, I mean, that's a legitimate side hustle, and it's all, or maybe it's your main thing now, but it's all tied back to the real estate, which is where you started. To yeah. be able to include that all in this one big, big ecosystem, that's the dream, that's genius. Yeah. And I, I think, I think if you can figure something out like that, it's a good insurance policy, if nothing else. Especially yeah. if you've got kids that you know, that mm. rely on you. I'm a single dad, so yeah, I got to make it happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. And we don't have a retirement plan either, right? Like we aren't getting a pension no. when we want to retire. I married a pension, so I'm good. No. <laughs> Yeah. Well right. done, but yeah, <laughs> no, that's why I have investment properties, right? Out there right now. <laughs> Here we go. Scott's I'll looking for somebody with a pension,
0: <laughs> and anyone that's got a really good pension, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Trezza. I just want to get your personal opinion as a realtor on the changes that Treza, which is going to take over Reba, is going to have because everybody's got a different opinion. I have my own. We are going to be um, giving our sellers the option of having open bids and closed bids, uh, which is what we're doing now. How do you feel about this change? And how are you going to be advising your clients?
0: (laughs) Oh shit. This is, this is one of those times where I wish my partner was here because she's the one that pays attention to all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I'll be honest with you. I don't pay a lot of attention to that stuff. Julia kind of like,
1: lets yeah. me
0: know what I need to know. Well, um, and we go from there.
1: It's going to be, this is how it's if there's
0: be. Like, that, that, that people have been talking about or that you want to talk about in regards to that.
1: Yeah. So in terms of our sellers any seller in ontario is going to have a choice of whether they want to have open bidding um sorry sorry, closed bidding which is what we have now where you don't nobody knows what the other offers are so it's they they can either use that method or they're going to have another option and it's open bidding and what that's going to look like is um you're going to be able the, the seller chooses which information you're going to be able to disclose all some, you know, conditions only price only. Um, but that's going to be an option for sellers soon. It's not in place yet. Um, so essentially you're going to know the buyers are going to know what the other offers are going to be. If they choose that route, the yeah. seller chooses that route. But you know, I, I, I feel like I know how I'm going to advise my clients. I'm going to advise them that the closed bidding is probably the best way to go for them to get the most amount of money. Um, I know I do see that the open bidding may start like a bidding frenzy. And a lot of people get really emotional and competitive during bids. Like, When they're in an auction, so that could drive up the price. But when we look at some of the bidding wars that result in the highest offer being sometimes a hundred thousand dollars away from the second highest, it's really in the best interest of the seller, I think, to keep it closed. What do you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you. Closed, closed for sure. and I'm sure there's an argument otherwise, and I would actually love to hear it. Like mm-hmm. I would love to sit down and talk with someone who's like, no, no, it's got to be open. It's got to be open. I think that would be a really cool dialogue to have because right? I, I have no doubt uh, I'm probably missing something because, uh, I mean, in any situations, you're probably missing something. But if I was going to advise my buyer or, or my, sorry, my seller, yeah, absolutely closed. I, I think as soon as it becomes open and everyone knows what's going on, it sort of takes away the, their power. And they're the one, you know, they're the one listing. They're the one selling their home. They're the one that should have the most control over it
1: all, I think. I like that. I never thought about it that way. Power. That's what they have right now.
0: Now. Yeah, for sure. And I don't don't think you can go and take it all away. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to be in multiple offers as a buyer, then don't be in multiple offers as a buyer
1: yeah because that's the other part of it yeah that's the other part of it too. Yeah, the have what if they don't want to yeah, do the, seller can't
0: be like, the seller can't be like okay i don't want to be in multiples what happens if you're in multiples but the buyer can choose to not be so i don't think you should you know that sort of gives them an advantage already you want to give them another advantage by knowing all of the other offers
1: mm-hmm. all
0: strategy is lost
1: and what about those buyers that want so, yeah, to remain yeah. private and keep their privacy intact, right? Like, I don't know if I would want a bunch of people knowing what I'm bidding on a house, what conditions I'm putting in, like that's personal information, right? So it's, it's going to be interesting yeah, to I see how that. that works out. Um, if Tim Hudak is listening to this, I'm waiting for you to freaking schedule a time in to come on this podcast so that we can talk about all these new rules you're implementing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he would be a great guy to talk to. Uh,
1: I, yeah, about,
0: you know, sort of the other side.
1: Yeah, I Might saw him a at a conference violent. and he uh, agreed to do my podcast, but like he's probably like the hardest person to get a hold of. So Yeah, I wouldn't. So he's
0: probably a bit busy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Okay, so We're going to end this podcast with your favorite places in Collingwood. So this information is great for realtors. This information is great for potential buyers, people who just moved there, people thinking of moving there. Like, let's sell Collingwood. Tell me, like, your favorite restaurant.
0: Favorite restaurant in Collingwood is the Tremont. It's uh, just off the main street, right in Collingwood. Um, the guys that own it are top notch dudes. I just love supporting them. And that, that right there goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you want to, if you want to go somewhere and you want to meet people and you want to be in any kind of market that, that restaurant's amazing for that. Their food's good. Their wine list is spectacular. So the Tremont Collingwood definitely, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of private ski clubs, Georgian peaks forever. I've been a member since 88 with my family. I love that club. It's the best one up there. I don't care what anyone else has to say. We're the best. And uh, <laughs> golf courses, I don't play golf. Um, it's it's just, it's not for me. But Georgian Bay Club is gorgeous. Beautiful club, amazing course. Not that I really know, but it looks nice. And uh, the views are incredible. If you don't want to join a private club, Laura Bay, which is just outside of Thornberry, is amazing. And they have incredible views there as well. Um, there's another little spot right on the main street in Collingwood called Gibson's. Mm-hmm. which is like just sort of tucked away down this alley. It's this cool little bar sort of eatery place. They have great wine list. Good people own it. Um, Bent Taco right in town is amazing. That's another like sort of uh, – it's a restaurant. But it's definitely far more casual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd say that's about it. Th- those are the places I frequent. Nice. The waterfront is gorgeous too, obviously. Yeah. Amazing sunsets down on uh, Sunset Boulevard down by a uh, Thornberry just strip down there. Probably the best sunsets in the entire area. Okay. Um, so if you want to buy a house down there, let me know.
1: Yeah. So so what would be your favorite part of Collingwood to purchase a house? Somebody who's looking to come in from out of town and they're like, I got a budget. Okay. Not necessarily like a huge luxury budget, but let's say from one to 2 mm-hmm. million Where? what location do they want?
0: Um so I mean my, myself I'm actually currently building uh in between Collingwood and Thornbury in uh in just like really really small development called Bayside. Mm-hmm. And uh it's right next to the Georgian Peaks, 5 minutes from Thornbury, across the street from the water. Um mm. I love that area, just sort of that stretch along 26 that that's in between um Collingwood and Thornbury, you're sort of positioned right in the middle. Yeah. If you want to be closer to town, if you want to be closer to town, downtown Collingwood is beautiful. Um, Main Street of Collingwood is beautiful. Like they, they spent so much money just redoing the downtown. They call it the Tree Streets. They're gorgeous. Like massive lots, beautiful trees. Like lots of old stuff, new stuff, but it, it's all it all coexists together really well. It is really tastefully done, and you can a hundred percent find a place in there for even under a million. And it's a wicked investment like a really really under
1: a million um, i might have to come out there
0: no doubt about it. yeah yeah absolutely i mean if you're part of the ski crowd and you've got a bit more money to spend nipissing ridge is a great idea that's basically in and around craigleith and uh, alpine ski clubs mm-hmm. and then if you want to go out out of town a little bit um not thornberry way but the other way down by osler mm-hmm. again you're gonna have to spend a little more money but I mean, some of the, some of the farmsteads up there are absolutely beautiful and the views are just insane. They're so gorgeous.
1: Awesome. So
0: yeah, you know, it gives you a bit of a, a lay of the land, if you will.
1: Yeah. Well, is it fair to say from the way you're talking about Collingwood, is it fair to say that this is your ideal and your best quality of life in terms of career and living?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be building a house there if it
1: wasn't
0: 100%. I mean, for me, too, I I will preface it by saying I have a a nostalgic tie to that place. I've been going there since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. So and I have a lot of friends up there and a lot of history up there. But I mean, honestly, if you're new to that area, go up there, spend a weekend, cruise around, take it all in. I would I would say even maybe in the summer more so than the winter. The winters are nice, but the summers up there are unbelievable.
1: All right, you heard it here. Call Scott if you want to get to yeah. know Collingwood. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on I'm today, myself. and um, let's do this again soon. It. Awesome, thank I'm you. In.
0: Definitely, thank you, Carrie. Bye. Right. Thanks for listening to everything they never told you about real estate. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. To connect with Carrie or for more information about her coaching program. Check out carrysove.ca or at carrysove and associates on Instagram and TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.